Welcome, friend. I hope you're well. You're listening to the Mr. X Dreams podcast, where I regale you with stories of all things paranormal. Now, whether these stories come from my listeners, my own personal and family experience, or fictional stories from my own imagination, all stories you'll hear here are written and performed by yours truly. Make sure you follow this podcast for countless journeys to come. If you're listening on a rating-supported platform, like Apple iTunes, a five-star review would be very much appreciated. If you have a scary story of your own, reach out at mr.xdreams54 at gmail.com. That's mr.xdreams54 at gmail.com. And share your story with me. You might even hear it on a future episode. Now, sit back, relax, and spend a moment or two here in my world. I'm Mr. X, and welcome to my dreams. This episode is a part of a series of my older recordings I did for the Mr. X Dreams YouTube channel. If you're listening to the podcast version, please excuse references to YouTube and subscribers and things like that. Consider it a relic of the past. If you're the type to prefer visuals along with your stories, I usually put artwork and motion graphics to go along with the experience. You can find those videos over at youtube.com by searching Mr. X Dreams. We'll talk again soon. Dear Mr. X, This story happened to a friend of mine. It was a while back, but it still creeps me out to this day. It may even do the same to you. <laughs> I doubt that. We were in our late teens at the time. My friends, Hank, Sarah, and Tom, decided to play with a Ouija board one night. They made sure all the lights were out leaving only a small candle to illuminate the table where the game was set up. They started asking questions. Is there a spirit here with us? What is your name? Things like that. Eventually, they got into deeper, more taboo subjects. When am I going to die? They all have their own perspectives on the story. No one seems to want to describe the answers to any of the questions but apparently the latter ones were so disturbing that my friends abruptly and improperly ended the game and put everything away. Some time passed. Hank was living with his parents at the time, a single-story home with a basement. It was situated in a forested area. They had a small backyard lined with trees, separating it from a local road like a natural fence. Out back, there was a porch facing the tree line which lied just outside the window of Hank's room. This is where it gets crazy. Hank used to tell me that some nights, he would see a very tall, shadowy figure just standing among the trees when he would look out the window. The figure was pitch black in contrast to the trees around it, but had radiant red eyes that shined in the dark. It would stand there, staring at him for as long as he would stare back at it. Each night he saw it, it would be closer and closer to his bedroom window. He said he had no idea how many times he looked out and saw it there, but that he felt like it had been going on for an eternity. Eventually, the entity appeared so close that it was actually on his porch one night. He opened his curtains to be nearly shocked into a heart attack when he saw the thing directly outside his window, its blood-red eyes beaming in and casting a red glow into his room. He said that even at that close range, he could not make out any details of the dark entity's form except for the eyes. As I'm sure you understand, Hank was completely freaked out by that point, and became desperate to get rid of the entity, whatever it was. He began to think that it must have come to him through the Ouija board game they had played with, that perhaps they unknowingly opened some sort of portal. He wondered if they had invited it into their lives by asking those stupid questions and failing to properly end the game. Hank called Sarah and Tom and asked them if they had been seeing anything out of the ordinary. Tom had mentioned that he had been seeing shadows in the corner of his eye very often and that his dreams were being haunted by shadowy figures. 
Sarah had also claimed to be seeing similar things. Hank decided to get the group together again and make an attempt at ending the game properly in hopes of getting rid of the entities once and for all. One thing I haven't mentioned yet is that Hank and Sarah were dating at the time they first played the game and had since gone through a very messy breakup. She was so angry with him that she refused to meet with him, no matter how scared she was of the bizarre events. Because of her refusal, they were never able to end the game properly. Apparently, all three of the original players had to be present. Over twelve years have passed since this all started. I've lost contact with Tom and Sarah, but I still see Hank every once in a while. He's slowly become more and more depressed and moody over the years. He occasionally talks about strange things happening in his apartment, cabinets and closet doors opening or slamming shut on their own, odd banging noises coming from unoccupied areas, among other things. I don't know whether it's because I expect it, but whenever I pay him a visit, even I see shadows dashing back and forth in the corners of my eyes. I sometimes get these haunting feelings I can't explain there as well. You know, when you get that cold feeling creeping down your spine like something's watching you from the shadows of an open door, or when you feel something looming over you as you try to sleep. Every time I go there, I get this feeling that even though he lives by himself, he may not really be living alone. One day, not long ago, Hank came over to help me move into a new apartment of my own. My girlfriend at the time was there, along with her mother, who claims to have psychic abilities. Out of nowhere, she pulled me aside and whispered something to me. She said that she could see a dark shadow hovering over and moving around Hank, possibly feeding off of his negative energy and affecting his mood. I think that the entity she saw may have been the cause of all this weirdness. It may even be the same thing that Hank used to see outside of his window, the thing they released when they decided to play that terrible game all those years ago. Strange dark shadow, whoever or whatever you are, let's not meet. Dear Mr. X, you can call me Valentina. I wanted to share a story with you about my dad. In the mid-1950s, between the time when he started going to school and ending around the time where he became a father, he had a very strange gift. Many, if not most, though, would call it a curse. You see, my dad used to see souls, ghosts. He could hear the voices of the deceased. Usually, it would happen around midnight, regardless of whether he was alone or with other people. What made the events slightly unsettling to him was that he could never quite make out their faces. One earlier memory he has of this phenomenon occurred when he was very young. He was living out in the backwoods of Zagreb, Croatia, working with his father, who had a business of transporting loads of sand with a horse-drawn carriage. They would do late-night deliveries, sometimes taking them into the midnight hours. On one such night, they were traveling home along a desolate road, and their horse suddenly stopped at an empty intersection. It refused to go on any further, and my grandpa had to get out and try pulling it along. The horse nervously resisted, which angered my grandpa, prompting him to yell at the horse to get moving. My dad looked up at my grandpa and asked, Why are you doing this, Daddy? There are people passing by in the funeral procession. My grandpa looked at him with a confused expression. What are you saying, child? Who has a funeral at midnight? He couldn't see it, but my father did. Clear as day, he described a long line of people all dressed in black, a few of them with a coffin hoisted up on their shoulders. The only thing that looked odd to him was that their faces were all extremely hazy and out of focus. He wasn't afraid of the sight. When the procession had moved on past, the horse continued down the road and they made their way home. Another late night, my dad was out with some friends, again past midnight. Their evening was coming to a close and they were all making their way home. Their route took them past a church on a hill, when suddenly 
my dad began hearing loud singing coming from the church. He said it was as loud as a Sunday mass. He asked around among his friends to see if anyone knew why there would be people singing at that hour, but no one could hear what he was hearing. He swore that he could hear the loud singing, praise and worship going on. It didn't make sense at all. They all decided to go with my father to check the church out, but the voices stopped abruptly as soon as they touched the doorknob. The young men didn't enter because they saw my dad get startled at the sudden halt. After a few seconds of them standing outside, my dad said the singing started again. They touched the knob again, and once more the voices stopped. My dad and his friends decided it was best to leave whoever, or whatever, was in the church to their own devices. My dad told the priest what happened, and the priest mentioned that it must have been souls having their mass, and that it was a good thing the boys didn't enter because he had no idea what would have happened. The priest had some additional advice for my father as well. Given his unique abilities, always wear a cross around his neck, and never be silent when traveling alone at night. He recommended that he whistle or sing to himself. My dad even used to hear the cries of babies whenever he went into the woods around where he lived. He never knew what had happened to them, but the priest told him to use water, any water he could find, to bless the souls of the children who were never baptized. Whenever he did this, the wailing in the woods would cease. I should note that paranormal events like these are not uncommon in the village in which I grew up. It was nothing special to come across a coven of witches dancing in the woods. My dad once saw his neighbor cooking a pot full of feet taken from various animals, and when he asked what she was doing, he was scolded for being too inquisitive. The mysterious neighbor warned his mother to look after him better, or else he would get himself into some real trouble. What I've told you so far, though, is nothing compared to his most haunting story. He was on his way home from work one day, just when he entered the village, an impossibly tall woman dressed in black passed him on her way out of the village. He bid her a good evening, but there was no response. A bit frustrated, he muttered to himself, telling her to piss off, and asking where were her manners. Almost as soon as she passed by his side, he turned to look back at her, but she was suddenly at least thirty to forty paces away from him. He knew she hadn't been running, and even if she were, there was no way she could have gotten so far away in less than five seconds. He quickly snapped his head back around, feeling extremely uneasy. After another few seconds, he worked up the courage to turn and look again, only to be shocked that she was now directly behind him, towering over his substantial adult male stature with her chest just inches away from his face. He broke into a dead sprint, running for his life. The tall lady gave chase and pursued him through the village as dogs barked and roosters crowed, adding to the feeling of sheer chaos. He forced himself to look back while he ran and saw the woman seem to fly toward him, just barely hovering off the ground. As he continued on, he noticed that the sound of the animals appeared to be distressing the strange figure, and she eventually swept off into the woods surrounding the village. It was the first time in his life when a paranormal vision truly frightened him. Shortly after my dad got engaged to my mother, my maternal grandmother passed away. After a while, Dad started seeing her around the house. Later on, he began seeing the spirit of a deceased neighbor. He knew the man in life, and he appeared exactly the way he knew him, wearing his work clothes and smoking a pipe. My dad wasn't scared or put off at all when the ghost walked up to him. Rather than react in fear, he simply asked the spirit what he was doing there. You're long gone and buried, my friend, so what do you want? The ghost faded away after those words, and my dad hasn't had another vision since. Greetings, friends. You may remember my good friend Rick. His life has been full of paranormal and hard-to-explain occurrences which he, in his old age, enjoys sharing with me. I sometimes note things down to relate to you, my dear listener. Here's another intriguing story from the life of Rick. When he was a child of 10 or 11 years of age, 
growing up in a rural town in Haiti. He lived in an area where the streets were said to be full of danger at night. At the hour of 6 p.m., the seedy underbelly of the large town reared its ugly head. Criminals, cult members, and cannibals seeped out from the cracks and made their rounds in the streets as the cover of night came about. There was a popular nightclub where beautiful women in dresses and high heels went to let off a little steam before the unspoken curfew. Rick frequently braved the streets in the dusky evening. He sat for hours outside the club, guarding bags of women's flat shoes, while their owners danced under the flashing lights inside. One night, he found himself inexplicably lost while walking home. He came upon a church that wasn't on his normal route, and could hear a faint chattering, though he could see no one around. He stopped in his tracks, afraid to pass by the ominous building, as the chattering sound grew in intensity. His heart pounded and beads of sweat began to form on his forehead, the warm vapors of perspiration wafting up from his open-collared shirt. All the while, the sun plummeted from the sky, darkening the scene. As he stood there, paralyzed with fear, a little white dog came wagging its tail and panting happily, running up to him. It darted around his feet, occasionally looking up at him and yelping. Rick felt compelled to follow the dog, and noticed that his fear and anxiety had suddenly vanished. He kept his eyes on the little white dog as it led him down an unfamiliar path, never stopping to analyze his surroundings on the way. The dog excitedly jumped around, its tail wagging profusely as he followed. Before long, Rick looked up to realize that the dog had led him directly to the front door of his house. He smiled and knelt down to pet the dog, but it was gone. Over twenty-five years later, Rick had moved to Brooklyn, New York, married the love of his life, whom I'll call Emmy, and had two children there. His son, whom I'll call Ricky, was seven years old at the time, and had fallen violently ill with fever and severe stomach pain. Emmy held her son's limp body in her arms as they drove to the hospital to have tests ran. The medical staff there found nothing and discharged him within a couple of hours, but Rick still had the terrible feeling his son was in danger. When the couple got home, they had to park far away from their apartment. Rick carried his child in the freezing cold of the afternoon as they approached the tenement building, when Emmy noticed a small white dog coming up to them. Being afraid of dogs, she frantically tapped on Rick's shoulder to alert him. Rick looked back and saw the dog but kept walking, reassuring his wife and saying, let him come. The family entered the project building with the jumpy little dog closely in tow as they walked up the five flights of stairs they took to avoid a filthy elevator. Emmy, still put off by the animal's presence, nudged Rick again. He responded, don't worry about him. Leave the dog alone. Don't say anything. They arrived at the door to their unit at the end of a long, narrow hallway, and the dog sat down, wagging its tail with its tongue hanging out. Rick unlocked the door and placed his hand on the knob to pull it open. Emmy told him not to open the door, fearing that the dog would dart inside the apartment. Rick told her not to worry. When he opened the door, Emmy turned to make sure the dog wasn't going to run in, but it had vanished. She looked down the long hallway and saw nothing no traces of a little white dog scurrying away. When they went inside, they noticed that their little boy was sleeping soundly. His temperature and other symptoms were gone, and he wasn't sick again for years. Greetings, friends. Here's another true story from one of our fellow dreamers, a young lady by the name of Hope. I think you'll find it quite refreshing. Here we go. Hope told me that it seems she has been followed by a certain feline companion all her life. She always knows it when she sees it, thanks to its dark coat and big beautiful eyes. She first started noticing the cat when she was about eight years old. Hope is an only child, but she was fortunate enough to have several animal friends. A cat, who I'll call Lee and two dogs growing up. 
In her youth, she almost thought the mysterious black cat was just another one of her pets, but she knew it was never around often enough to justify the theory. It seemed to come and go as it pleased, sometimes stopping in to play around with her real cat, Lee, scampering through the house for hours on end. The most reliable time for the black cat to appear was at night, at the foot of Hope's bed. She remembers the feeling of the cat's body near her feet, as its warmth radiated through her blankets. Eventually, Hope's family moved away from the house she grew up in. The cat shortly found its way back to her. A couple of years later, they moved away again. A few days passed, and Hope had finally set up her new room just the way she wanted it. One night as she lay down to sleep, she felt the familiar sense of pressure next to her feet. She looked down and saw the dark outline she had sort of been expecting all along. It was at that moment that it really began to sink in for her. There was something strange about that cat. There was an odd, almost haunting feeling in the back of her mind as she looked at it. Its gaze focused on her as she stared into its eyes. The mystery cat let out what Hope described as a ghostly purr. It echoed off the walls of her newly settled room. Though it seemed to be a solid creature, Hope began to see the cat as perhaps being a ghost that was somehow bonded to her. The purr was something she grew used to hearing around the house. Her parents never saw the ghost cat, but would sometimes complain of hearing the bizarre noise it made. Years went by, and yet again, Hope's family moved into another house. There, Lee finally passed away, and her loss was mourned by everyone. The family buried her in the backyard, and Hope would sometimes stare out at it through her bedroom window. Every so often, she would see the ghost cat lying next to Lee's grave, looking as if it wanted to play again, just like old times. Hope mentioned that the ghost cat never got that chance, at least... Not as far as she knows. She eventually grew up and moved out on her own. Still, much to her delight, the ghost cat eventually made its way along with her. It was always a great comfort to her, as she had no real pets of her own. When she later met her boyfriend and began to have children, the ghost cat remained a part of her life. One day, a neighbor was visiting to help take care of the kids and had a panic attack. She came running through the house, looking for Hope. When she found her, she could barely contain herself, screaming that there was a black cat in the crib with one of Hope's babies. Hope simply chuckled, assuring her that there was nothing to worry about, and the neighbor returned to the room, only to find that the cat was nowhere to be seen. Hope explained to her neighbor that the cat was like a friend of hers, and had been following her throughout her life. Of course, her explanation was met with a blank, questioning stare. Hope's boyfriend at the time was, in her words, not a very nice person. He had a penchant for being abusive toward her, which made the ghost cat very angry. Hope said she would sometimes find her boyfriend teetering on the edge of consciousness in an alcohol or drug-induced stupor, laid out on the couch. One day, as Hope walked by, he lunged and struck her, Hope raised her arms to defend herself, but was confused to hear her boyfriend's voice shriek in pain. She lowered her defenses to see him stomping around, flailing his arms and legs erratically, while screaming obscenities. Get this thing off me, he yelled. The ghost cat had him mounted, hissing loudly and clawing at his arms and chest. Hope stared at disbelief for several seconds before taking the chance to finally gather her children and leave the abusive relationship behind. She never saw the man again, but heard rumors about him saying that she attacked him in his sleep. To this day, she credits her escape to the ghost cat, to whom she finally gave a well-deserved name, Angel. Hope is now nearly 50 years old. She still feels the presence of Angel, the ghost cat, though she doesn't see him quite as often as she once did. Nowadays, she has a couple of normal cats, and every now and then, she spots Angel running around and playing with them in the house, just like old times. 
She looks forward to the sounds of Angel's ghostly purr in the halls of her home. Even if she can't exactly pick out where it came from, it still never fails to make her smile. After all, she knows that her little ghost cat has good reason to be away these days. Hope's daughter is grown up now and has a child of her own, and Angel seems to have taken a liking to her. She often tells her mother of a strange black cat that sleeps at the foot of her bed at night, with a calming, yet oddly haunting purr droning in the dark. Hope recounted her fond memories of Angel, the rare occasions when he would wrap himself around her leg to get her to pet him. She's even seen him sleeping in the crib next to her granddaughter. You see, unlike many of the entities and encounters you'll find not only on this channel, but all over the world. Angel, whatever he is, is a welcome constant in the life of several people, a comforting guardian presence that brings feelings of safety and happiness, rather than fear. Hope told me that there was once a time where she and her children moved into the home of their paternal grandparents, a nightmarish experience due to the house being seemingly plagued with unsettling paranormal activity. She said that throughout that trying time, Angel was there, standing between her family and the negative forces they encountered. Hope's 49th birthday was not too long ago. Please join me in wishing her another 49 years of health and happy little moments with her ghost cat, Angel. I know I'm not alone when I feel refreshed by a story of a supernatural entity, which is a source of joy, protection, and positivity rather than for fear and dread. I want to thank our fellow dreamer, Hope, for gifting us with this amazing story, and her friend, Angel, the ghost cat, for being there for her during her darkest moments in life. As always, if you have stories of your own, reach out to me in any way you can. I truly do love and appreciate each one of you, and I thank you for your support. This channel is truly nothing without you. It's been a long time. I shouldn't have left you. Dear Mr. X, My name is Tammy. I was listening to one of your dogman stories when I found my mind wandering back to the distant memories of my childhood. I grew up in the deserts of Nevada in the late 1980s, the middle of nowhere, a town of no more than 300 people, with the nearest grocery store over 45 minutes drive away. No traffic lights, but we did have one stop sign, which was nice. There was a yearly tarantula migration that would pass through the town in such great numbers it was like an undulating black carpet moving along the ground. We weren't allowed to go outside on those days. The town was full of open, abandoned mine shafts and pitfalls. If you didn't know where to look, you could easily fall in. Unfortunately, we had a few accidents of that sort. There was running water in most buildings, but not all, and our school was just one big room that every grade had to share. The place was teeming with wildlife, likely emboldened by centuries of sparse human contact. Family pets had to be closely guarded just to make sure they didn't fall victim to the natural order of things. As a matter of fact, there were so many problems with violent animals that the townspeople used to set out bear traps and other devices to protect their homes. I come from a pretty large family with many siblings. With both my parents working out of town, my eldest sister used to watch over us kids. One quiet, warm evening, just as twilight began to fall. The silence of the house was interrupted by a loud knock at our front door. It startled us, because normally we can hear any incoming visitors as they walk up the eight steps and small landing to get to the front door. My older sister went to answer it. As soon as she got to the door, she began to scream. My heart sank as her voice cut through the air. In a sort of daze. I got up and jogged toward her as my other siblings brushed by to see what the commotion was about. As I turned the corner to see out of the half-screen door leading to the porch, 
I saw what looked like a large coyote standing on its hind legs. I stood in shock as the rest of my siblings scrambled about the small, cramped hallway, trying to get as far away as they could. Unfazed by the mayhem it had caused, the creature at the door opened its mouth disturbingly wide, revealing its sharp teeth and deep red tongue as a round, black object rolled out of its mouth and fell down between its legs, coming to rest on the welcome mat on the porch. It was our cat's head. Everyone froze at the meaty thud of it hitting the ground. The silence returned as the bizarre animal stared us down through the screen door, cold air wafting in from the outside, bringing with it the musty odor of wilderness, sweat, and blood. After a few moments, the creature calmly turned and walked back down the steps, still standing upright, vanishing into the darkness. My sister was the first one to recover from the shocking event. Still panicked, she dashed around the house locking the doors and windows before herding us all into my parents' room. She stood guard with a baseball bat until my parents finally got home in the middle of the night. In that little town, so many strange things happened that just about every family had a story or two, just as unbelievable as that one. If you'd like, I'll share one more. This one took place over a lot longer of a time period. Of course you guys know, I couldn't leave you with just one Dogman story. If you're still listening, settle in, because there's a lot more where this came from. One of the few places in town that had grass and trees was the small cemetery. It was the only place that was actually pleasing to look at, so many of the kids used to play there. Given the mysterious history of the town's mines, it was common knowledge that the town was haunted and that spirits would follow people home. We were all, for the most part, sort of fine with it. If you're wondering how we ended up in this peculiar place, my parents ended up moving there after my grandmother found an old house they could afford. I was pretty young, but when we were moving in, I remember seeing a woman in a pale yellow dress standing next to a dog on our porch, staring at me. I didn't think it was too strange, because there were several people around that I didn't know, helping us unload our boxes from the moving truck. The next day, I saw the lady again, standing out on the porch with the dog, her long black hair blowing in the wind. This time, no one else was around to help me rationalize her being there, so I asked my mom if she was a neighbor. My mom asked me what woman I was talking about. I told her that I kept seeing the woman in the yellow dress but neither my mom nor my siblings had seen her. She kept showing up to me every so often, always out on the porch, until one day, she was standing just inside the door. I finally saw her close up, and could tell there was something off about her, something wrong with her eyes. They were so dark. The closer I looked, the more I realized that they were just empty holes dug into her head. Her expression was still and blank as I examined her eerily captivating form. Her hair seemed matted and greasy, and I could see the bones in her legs and arms. As a haunting, crooked smile cracked its way onto her face, a visceral feeling of terror crawled its way into my mind, and I ran away. Anytime I saw her after that, I would seek out one of my parents or siblings. Even though I knew they didn't see her, at least I wouldn't be alone with her. Eventually, the woman began coming into my room at night. I shared a room with my older sister, and the woman in yellow would wait until she was asleep before walking in and standing next to my bed, looming over me with that same, unnerving smile. I would cry silently as she touched my face and hair. Her fingers were so cold that it hurt my skin. Whenever I saw her outside, she would beckon me to follow her, I started telling myself that maybe if I did what she wanted, just once, she would leave me alone. At first, I would never get more than a few steps in her direction before stopping myself, which made her furrow her brow and pout before evaporating into thin air. Over time, despite my best efforts, I somehow made it more and more steps in her direction when she would call me. One day, I was outside playing with my brother when I wandered off toward her. I remember her smiling and nodding fervently, 
waving her hands with big, exaggerated motions as I came toward her. The next thing I remember is looking up at my mom as she held me in her arms, running as fast as she could to get home. When we got there, she burst through the door in a frantic state. When she finally gathered herself, she told me I was only two or three steps away from falling down a mineshaft in the further reaches of our backyard. The opening was covered with sand and a plank of wood, so it was barely noticeable. Underneath the surface was a sheer drop of over a hundred feet. I would not have survived. My mother pulled me tightly to her chest and whispered to me, I saw her. I saw the woman in the yellow dress. Honey, she's dead. You need to stay away from her. I didn't see the woman for several days after that. However, it wasn't too long before she started showing up again, but something was different. Now she was only appearing at night, in various parts of the house, still beckoning to me as usual. Whenever I ignored her, she wouldn't simply evaporate away anymore. She would stand there, staring at me with a twisted expression of intense anger and hatred. I could feel it from across the room. I remember one day playing with toy cars in the hallway with my brother. As I sat with my back against a bookshelf, a book suddenly fell down next to me. I looked up with a mild curiosity to see a swell of several more books, moving forward off the shelf above my head. The books began to fall one by one, each empty space revealing another part of the woman's sneering face. The woman in yellow glared at me with eyes that weren't there, in their place blackness, and the entire bookcase tipped over on top of me. My brother started screaming, alerting my mother. Luckily, all I ended up with were a few bumps and bruises, and somehow, a black eye. From that day on, my mother was able to see the woman. I don't think the woman liked it, because she never smiled at me again. When she visited me in the night, she would choke me with her icy cold hands, pull out clumps of my hair, scratch me, slap me and even bite me on some occasions. Things would fly off my dresser and hit me. The kitchen stove would flare up without warning whenever I went near it. The toaster and microwave caught fire when I tried to use them. My family members have seen me fall downstairs as though I'd been pushed violently. Doors would swing open and hit me as I walked by. Perhaps strangest of all, Snakes, lizards, and even scorpions would be found under my blankets or in my toy box. Fed up, my mom had the house blessed and went about looking into its history. After a few days of investigation, she found an old picture of a previous inhabitant, a woman with a dog and a curly-haired little girl. My eyes focused in on the girl in the picture. Her big brown eyes and shy smile gave her an eerie resemblance with me. My mom had the house blessed again, and the woman in yellow never returned. Years later, when I had grown up, I was spending time looking through some old photos. I noticed how beat up I always looked. I asked my mom if she knew anything more about the woman in yellow, and she told me that she used to live in our old house. Her name was May, and of course, her daughter died at a young age. Every member of May's family passed away one by one for various reasons leaving her the only survivor. She lived to an old, feeble age before suffering a long, slow death due to cancer. My mom believed that May remained in our world, perhaps not knowing where else to go. Maybe when we moved in, she thought, or hoped, I was her lost daughter. I sometimes wonder about what her intentions may have been. I think she was trying to get me to join her. Whatever it was she wanted, I'm glad she didn't get it from me. Anyway, thank you for listening, Mr. X. Warmest regards, Tammy. Brooklyn, New York. Sam was about 14 years old and had been feeling a bit under the weather. So much so that she asked her father if she could stay home from school that day and he agreed. He dropped her off at her cousin Vanessa's house, where she had already made plans to spend the weekend. 
It would be a welcome change from the fast-moving pace of living in the projects. Or at least, that was the idea. Vanessa lived in a three-story townhome in Brooklyn. It was a very old house, built in 1920, and constructed of sturdy red brick. This fact may come into play a little bit later, Sam advised me, causing me to make a mental note of it. If you're not familiar with those types of homes, there's usually a separate family living on each floor, all renting from a single landlord who owns the entire building. Each level had its own entrance. One doorway led to a stairway to the top floor, one at the ground floor, and one to the basement unit. Vanessa lived with her mother and grandmother in the basement of the house. Sam and her father arrived at the house early, just in time to catch Vanessa on her way out the door to school. She let Sam in and told her that no one else would be home until after school. Sam's face cringed a bit at the prospect of spending several hours alone in the basement. New York basements tend to be creepy in general, but this home was quite special. Sam had been over countless times in the past and had several odd things happen before. For one, the people on the ground floor usually stayed out of the apartment as much as possible. Despite this, Vanessa's family frequently heard loud footsteps trampling around above them, even when they were sure that the family wasn't home. On top of that, there seemed to be a new family there every year, with people getting fed up with the bizarre happenings in the house. To make things worse, the current family had Sam over for a visit once and gave her a glass of apple juice with ice in it. As she drank, the ice cube shifted, prompting a dead cockroach to pop up from the liquid like a buoy, at which point she quietly excused herself. Sam sat herself down on the living room sofa in the dimly lit basement apartment. The TV was on. She tried to focus on it as much as she could, distracting herself from the fact that because of the orientation of the couch, she was sitting with her back directly facing a long, dark hallway, which echoed every sound she made. It was the exact kind of environment that would make just about anyone feel that they were being watched by some unknown presence from the shadows. The situation began to get more intense when Sam could have sworn she was hearing footsteps coming from various rooms in the basement. She shouted out boldly into the cold basement air that she wasn't afraid, and that whoever, or whatever was in there, couldn't do anything to her. She obviously wasn't yelling at anyone in particular, but it gave her a slight feeling of empowerment. Despite her brave efforts, she was unnerved shortly afterward when she felt a chilling breeze wander past her ear. Not just any breeze, but one that carried the distinct air of disturbance caused when someone walks by you closely. That, for her, was the last straw. She gathered herself and went upstairs to visit the neighbors and pass the time until her aunt and or cousin got home. She sat in the kitchen and spoke idly with the woman who had formerly served her a dead cockroach in a glass. After a while, Vanessa came home and took Sam to the video store to rent scary movies for the weekend's festivities. Sam hated the idea, but Vanessa insisted. By the time the two got back, Vanessa's mother had prepared a delicious meal. They ate at a small table, chatting while one of the movies played on the TV. During dinner, Vanessa mentioned a strange, small door that she found in her grandmother's room. She spoke casually about the door saying that she thought it was probably some kind of storage room, but still insisted that Sam go with her and see it after dinner. The intrepid pair crouched down in front of the three-foot-high door and pried it open. Its old, tarnished hinges creaked slowly as the heavy, frigid air billowed out of the pitch-black space. Vanessa clicked on a small flashlight, illuminating a silver pull chain a few feet into the cramped space. She pulled it, switching on a naked, cobweb-covered fluorescent light bulb hanging from the ceiling. The light revealed a confusing scene, a three-foot-high, by four-foot-wide, by six-foot-deep crawl space that would have been normal enough if not for the fact that the entire floor was comprised of chunks of broken concrete in varying sizes. Sam and Vanessa stared at the floor of the room for a while, contemplating the odd scene. Sam wasn't sure why, but after a few minutes, she had suddenly had the feeling that they should close the door as soon as possible. They each showered and got ready for bed, both going to sleep in Vanessa's room. 
Sam slept peacefully until she was awoken by an abrupt sound. Her eyes shot open and she was immediately inundated with sensory overload. A bright light strained her eyes and her face was bitten by ice-cold air. She was crouching down uncomfortably, uneven pieces of concrete under her feet, causing sharp pains to shoot up her legs. Her hand was out in front of her, lightly clutching the silver pull chain, having just turned on the light. In a subdued panic, she quickly turned the light back off, closed the door quietly as to not wake up Grandma, and ran back to Vanessa's room. She forced herself to keep her eyes closed, holding the sheets over her head. After a couple of hours, she succeeded in falling asleep. Sam stressed to me that she had never sleepwalked before or since that night. I could see the chills covering her skin many times as she recounted the story, haunted by the retrospective feeling that something was pulling her there, into the mysterious room. She left there the next morning, cutting her sleepover weekend short. P.S. As I was writing this, Sam was sitting nearby doing some research into the original owners of the house. They were an old Italian couple who happened to be deceased at the time that this story occurred, but appeared to have ties to the Mafia. It made me wonder, was there someone buried down in that crawlspace, perhaps calling out to the world of the living, demanding justice? Thanks so much for watching. Please like and subscribe for more. I'm Mr. X, and may your nights be full of dreams. Dear Mr. X, it's me again, Tammy. Not long ago, I sent you a story about a haunting. I can't tell you how good it felt to be able to share my experience with people who wouldn't make me feel like an idiot or a liar. Well, I have another story I hope you'll find interesting. These events happened several years after I was haunted by May, the woman in the yellow dress. I may have mentioned this before, but both my parents had a long commute to work. My dad was in the army and managed to get my mom a position at the munitions depot near the post he was stationed at in Nevada. Eventually, they decided to find a sitter for my little brother and I that was much closer to the base. We were the youngest after all, so my parents wanted us not to be so far out of reach. We even went to school in the local area there, thus avoiding the nearly non-existent education system in the small town where we lived. Our babysitter's name was Terry. She had a nice house, but it definitely stood out in her quaint little neighborhood. It was the only real house on the block, and it was obviously very old, built in a sort of colonial style that was popular so many decades ago. Most of the other townsfolk lived in either single or double-wide trailer homes. Even more unusual, Terry's house was painted bubblegum pink. Being no stranger to the paranormal, even at nine years old, my sensitivity had grown since my last encounter. I began seeing shadows of people and hearing voices echoing down empty halls. My mother would instruct me to carry a blessed handkerchief and sing church songs out loud whenever I felt scared or threatened. When we first started being dropped off at Terry's house, everything was normal. We would go to school, do our homework, eat snacks, play outside, kid stuff. My mom would pick us up in the afternoons. After a while though, I started noticing little anomalies happening every now and then. Small things like glasses of juice tipping over, chairs moving on their own, disembodied footsteps and thumping on hallway walls. My brother and I would sometimes even hear a woman crying. The first major event happened during Christmas time. I was given the role of the Virgin Mary in a nativity play for our church. I would also be singing. One morning, I was sitting in the kitchen with Terry and my brother, getting ready to practice one of my songs. It's important to note that this kitchen had a tiled ceiling. The moment I tried to start singing, the windows began to shake violently, briefly shocking me into silence. After a moment or two, I decided to continue since windows were known to shake a bit during windstorms that were common at that time of the year. When I opened my mouth to sing again, Suddenly the ceiling tiles all fell down on us at once. Simultaneously, 
I heard a loud scream. I wasn't sure if it was Terry or my own voice. As the screaming faded away in my ears, I could hear my brother crying. We all sat there in a state of bewilderment for what seemed like minutes before Terry got up and led us out of the kitchen, carefully navigating the floor which was covered in ceramic shards. As soon as we crossed into the next room, I heard a sound that I couldn't describe if I tried. I turned around and saw all the tiles floating back up, replacing themselves exactly as they'd been before they fell. It was like the terrifying event had never even happened. After this, the little things kept on as usual with one exception. The woman's cries began to sound more and more clear, whereas before, it just sounded like muffled sobbing. I was able to gradually make out words. It was like she was begging someone. No. Please. Stop. I'm sorry. As time went on, we began to see the woman appearing in the house. The strange thing is that her presence was not in the least bit frightening. Whenever a glass would fall or a window would shake, she would be there standing over us. She radiated this warm, comforting energy. She had shoulder-length blonde hair. She was skinny with green eyes, appearing to be in her thirties. The sad thing was that sometimes she would appear to be beaten up. Her eyes swollen shut, lips split wide open, the side of her head sunken in and slumped over to one side. When she appeared to us, sometimes we would also see a man. He was an imposing figure, perhaps in his late thirties or early forties. He had pale white skin, with light brown hair and dark eyes filled with rage. His face seemed permanently trapped in a scowl, and the purest kind of malice emanated from him whenever he was there. I got the sense that he would have no qualms with hurting or even killing my brother and I if he had the chance, though I didn't know why. The weather in our part of the state was extreme at times. Bad storms were known to crop up out of nowhere and were often extremely dangerous. One day while I was at school, a storm hit that had the whole region scrambling to evacuate. The evacuation window was so narrow that I missed my bus due to my being in the bathroom when the announcement was made. My parents decided to have me stay with Terry until my dad could get away from his duties, preparing the military base to weather the storm. My little brother was already with my mom, and they were on their way home, so I would be going to Terry's house alone for the first time. That made me a bit anxious because I had a bad feeling. The storm raged on until nighttime as I waited for my dad to come pick me up. At some point, I snuggled into the couch to relax. Terry was in another room. Now, this is the part where things got a bit fuzzy. I'm not sure whether the following took place in my dreams, or if I was in some kind of trance. All I know is that I don't remember falling asleep. This all just started happening. In the house around me, I began to see visions of a man and woman looking very happy. I could see that it was the same couple that appeared to us in the house. I'd never seen them looking so pleasant and full of life. The bright, loving pair carried boxes and furniture, setting them throughout the house as they seemed to enjoy a silent conversation between themselves. I couldn't hear or make out what they were saying. Before long, though, Things took a turn toward a dark path that my childlike mind was not exactly prepared for. I began to see the man drinking from glass bottles and hitting the woman repeatedly. Time appeared to move on at an accelerated rate as the hitting and drinking continued over and over again. The woman stayed and stayed through it all. Even though she was clearly suffering, her injuries multiplied. I began to notice something odd. When the man moved, a liquid-like substance flew from his body, splattering and soaking into the walls like blood. It was as if the anger and hatred of his actions were taking a physical form and infusing into the very structure of the home whenever he raised his hand to strike his wife. At one point, he began beating her more fiercely than ever. Again, she begged him to stop. He didn't, or couldn't stop until she had died. Her waif-like frame crumpled to the ground in front of me. 
Realizing what he had done, the man wept over her for a moment, but somehow his sadness transformed back into anger, and he began kicking and stomping her skinny, broken body. For what felt like several more days, he continued to drink and wander around the house. The concentrated wrath oozed and dripped from his body, seeping into the floorboards and every surface he came into contact with. Eventually, he picked up her body and carried her into the master bedroom. He laid her on the bed before lying down next to her, and then he shot himself in the head. That gunshot was the first noise I had heard since the vision began. It snapped me out of it instantly. As I awoke, my dad was carrying me out to his car. My mind was preoccupied with this feeling that the man wanted to trap his wife, that he would do anything to make sure he wouldn't lose her. To tell you the truth, I didn't even completely comprehend what I had seen at the time. It's just my clear memory of the vision that makes me able to process it now with my adult mind. Weeks went by before I told my mom what had happened, what I had seen that day. After the incident with the lady in the yellow dress, she had no problem believing me. She got us a new sitter not long after that. I never went back to the pink house, nor have I seen Terry since that time. She always used to say that nothing strange happened in the house except when my brother and I were there. Anyway, thanks again for listening as always, Mr. X. Sincerely, Tammy. Greetings, friends. I hope you enjoyed that collection of haunting, ghostly encounters. I know I slipped a dogman in there, but that was kind of a package deal with a larger story. You know, the one with the disturbing haunting by a murderous woman in a yellow dress. This was a real trip down memory lane for me because some of those stories were originally recorded during the very early days of this channel. Shortly after I began getting into the true scary stories like cryptids and ghosts and other things. If you missed the video from last week, I'll leave a link in the description. But it was another hour-long video called The Cryptid Collection. It was basically the same situation with several stories I hadn't listened to in over a year. Or so it feels like. That first compilation-style video I put out managed to bring in a lot of new listeners, so I wanted to give it another go this week. It's honestly been giving me a bit more motivation to start making a few more sacrifices to be able to spend more time working on my YouTube uploads. So with that in mind, I've been searching through my archives to find some more stories that can be easily compiled together in an understandable way for the listening pleasure of my fellow dreamers. Everyone from my old friends, those willing to ride or die, all the way down to the very newest of you, who may be hearing my voice for the very first time. You are all my peers in this world, and we make these journeys together. If you don't know me, yet, here's what you need to be aware of before making yourself a part of my legion of dreamers. Share your stories with me, and I'll do my best to help you. If you don't have a story, that's fine. Being a supportive listener, or even the occasional skeptic, opinion, can be good and beneficial for the community as well. Sometimes when people share their stories with me, I'm basically just another listener. But every so often I come across a story that's so fascinating, moving or promising, Something that will stimulate the curious mind or teach an eager pupil. In that case, I take the information you provide and write a story based around your account. And share it with the Legion. As you will learn, despite my extremely varying and borderline haphazard content schedule due to my regular employment, which is kind of a, a running secret around here for most of us, I've enjoyed the support of a vastly positive community, and I hope it stays that way. However, I welcome any and all to my channel, be they heralds of approval or voices of dissent. Whatever the case, whoever you are, I love you and wish you the best in your life, and I hope you do the same for others. If you haven't been here before, 
let me be the first to welcome you to my world, friends. I'm Mr. X, and may your nights be full of dreams. And by the way, for my ride-or-die followers who listen all the way to the end of my videos, sorry if I wasted your time that last couple of minutes. Something told me you wouldn't mind, though. So thanks again for being who you are. Take care, and I'll see you next time. Hello again, my dreamers. Mr. X Dreams here. I wanted to thank you for listening to the Mr. X Dreams podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Like I said before, make sure you follow this podcast for countless journeys to come. Don't forget, if you can, please leave a 5-star rating and review. It'd be very much appreciated, and it certainly helps out. If you feel I deserve it, that is. Also, if you have a scary story of your own to share, reach out to me at mr.xdreams54 at gmail.com. That's mr.xdreams54 at gmail.com. You might even hear it on a future episode of the show. Once again, thanks for listening, my friend. I hope you're well. Enjoy your day, night, weekend, or whatever's coming next. I wish you the best in all your endeavors. Until next time, I'm Mr. X, and may your nights be full of dreams.